Uh, let's let's uh, open again. I know that Josh would just pray, but let's pray for the word and let's dig in. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us. No one's here by chance today. We're all here by divine appointment. Lord, be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. So as we continue through 1 Timothy, great book. As we've talked about, it is a, one of the pastoral epistles. So it's written by the Apostle Paul. To Timothy, his son in the faith, if you will. Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus. And we know from the beginning of this letter that Timothy was going through a tough time. Now, one thing about when you teach this way, it's really important to know that they wouldn't stop every chapter. They would read the whole letter all together. Amen? And there's a reason why I take a few moments to catch you guys up to make sure you understand the context. Because text without the context, all you got left is a con. Amen? And so... Here's the first thing we need to remember. He's writing this letter to Timothy, and Timothy first urges him in chapter 1 to stay. And he had to be urged to stay because more than likely he wanted to quit. Hard to imagine a pastor wanting to quit, but it happens sometimes because they deal with people. Can I get an amen? So Timothy had to be exhorted and encouraged to stay and to continue to be faithful to the calling God has placed upon his life. He, called, he told him to fight for the faith, to remain faithful, to call out false teachers, and to correct false teaching. In chapter 2, uh, we, saw, we continue to see God's hand and encouragement, and he talked about how the church should operate. How should the church operate? By the way, it doesn't matter where we meet, we are the church, Amen. So we got kicked, you know, we had to step away from our building because we had too many people there and LA County didn't like it. And praise God for Hillcrest Christian School opening this up for us. Amen. And we want to continue to pray for them, pray, pray that God blesses them the way they blessed us. But as he talked about the conduct of the church, the first thing he said that there needed to be an emphasis on prayer. One encourage you, there's multiple times throughout the week you can gather for prayer. Nine o'clock, we have prayer before church. Uh, we have prayer during the week on Zoom meetings as well. Encourage that we need to be people who pray. Then he talked about role of women in the church. And he talked about women need to be, should be modest, uh, quiet in their learning, and, and exhibiting godly works and submit to the authority of their husbands. Now, that's not a popular message in the world today. But as I taught that, we always talk about the fact that this is an exhortation for the husbands as well. Because God has called us to be the spiritual leaders in our household. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to be faithful to that calling. In chapter 3, we saw the church reflecting Jesus in the character of the people and in the content of the message. We saw the qualifications for pastors and, and for deacons. But what's important is we talked about this. Even in this pastoral epistle, though it's written to pastors, it should apply to every believer. Though these are qualifications for those who lead, it should be the heart of every believer to live this life. Can I get an amen? So now we come to chapter 4. If you have your outline, grab it. I tell the message, how to be a good, godly, and growing minister. Look, we're all in the ministry. Every one of us. If you're born again, God's given you spiritual gifts. Uh, Alan Redpath said, sadly, there are those who have a saved soul and a wasted life. We don't want to be those people. Amen? Do people need Jesus today? Yes. We, do we live in a divided country right now? And we have the answer. We have the hope that lies within us. We're going to look at that as we go through the text this morning. So how to be a good, godly, and growing minister. First, a good minister. How do we do that? How does someone be a good minister? By preaching the word, by combating false teaching, by proclaiming, promoting, and protecting the truth, and by boldly, clearly, and directly defending the truth and exposing false teachers. So again, he's going to reemphasize something he called Timothy back in chapter 1, to defend the faith and boldly proclaim the truth. Not only a good minister, but a godly minister. See, it's one thing to preach it, it's another thing to live it. 
When you preach it and you don't live it, there's a word for that. What is it? You're a hypocrite. Hypocrite is a mask wearer. Someone who pretends to be something on Sunday or whenever they're around God's people and they live a different lifestyle. And so he exhorts him, young Timothy, to practice what you preach, to be a godly example for others to follow, and to exercise yourself toward godliness. And then finally, not only a good minister preaching the word, a godly minister practicing the word, but a growing minister progressing in the word. Every one of us should be continuing to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Amen? Some people don't like this analogy. That's okay. But, I, but Christianity is like a grease pole. I truly believe it. You're either climbing up or sliding down. You're either growing in your faith or you're falling away from the Lord. And guys, we are as close to God as we want to be. It's up to us to determine how close we want to walk with the Lord. Guys, we cannot be the Lord's and live our lives independent from him. You can't say you're a Christian and have no relationship with Christ. Amen? And I'm talking about a daily relationship. We have intimate fellowship with the Lord, and it's something that's ongoing and constant. So how do we? We need to continue to grow spiritually, moving forward, drawing closer to the Lord every day, not neglecting our spiritual gifts, but willingly stepping out in faith, getting out of our comfort zone. So let's begin there in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. He's continuing to exhort his son in the faith, uh, young Timothy. Let's begin there in verse 1. He says, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The word now in Greek means moreover, in light of what he just told him. He told him how the church should operate, how the church should conduct itself. He, he ended it talking about the Lord, manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. So he says, this is the truth of who Jesus is and why he came and what he did. And now how here are we, how are we to respond? We need to be ready because we live in a world that in direct contrast to the previous verses, the church is supposed to be the pillar and the ground of truth. Look, We've got an election coming up. It's important. We need to vote. Can I get an amen? amen. And vote biblically. Amen. amen. Vote according to the Bible. But I want to encourage you with something. Our hope is not in the White House. Our hope is in the throne of grace. Can I get an amen? amen. No matter what happens, Jesus Christ is still going to be on the throne. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And my prayer is whatever it's going to take to bring revival to our nation and put that person in, even if it's the one we don't want. Because guys, we should be far more concerned with people's eternity than anything else. Amen? But I vote pro-life, I vote pro-Israel, I vote pro-God. I think you can figure out who I'm voting for. Can I get an amen? amen? So the church is the pillar and ground of truth. And we're to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ and preaching Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead and interceding. He's coming back. He's interceding for us. He's coming back soon. And he's the only way, the only truth, and the only source of eternal life. Notice it says, the Spirit expressly says, the Holy Spirit spoke to the Apostle Paul. Even though men's pens were used in writing the Bible, the Holy Spirit wrote it. Can I get an amen? And the way we know that's true is it's 66 books written on 14, 40, different, uh, 40 different people, 1,500 years, one central theme, no contradictions. How's that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? You can't get 40 people in a room and have them agree on anything, even if they all saw it at the same time. But over a 1,500-year period of time, we see the consistency of the Word of God. And that is only possible because the Holy Spirit wrote it. Amen? 
And the Holy Spirit is God. Amen? So this is God's word. God wrote it. We're tools in the hands of the master. So God speaks to the apostle Paul and expressly encourages him and tells him that in latter times, and it's saying, the word there literally means after this time, and as the time gets closer to the Lord's coming, the time's consequent to those which the church then lived. This is a reference to the whole church age. By the way, the church age began in Acts chapter 2 when the church was birthed, and it ends when the church is raptured. And everything in between is the church age. And right now, we again, the, God is on the throne. We know that Satan is, is the ruler of this world in a sense, but the Holy Spirit dwells in us and speaks through us, and God is not done. Can I get an amen? He's got a work he wants to do in the world today. So it's a reference to the church age, the giving of the Holy Spirit until the removal of the church. And it's true from the days of the ministry of Timothy, and it's getting worse even now. Timothy, you're going to need to stand firm in the truth in teaching of God's word as the simple truth of the gospel will be under attack by false doctrine. Is the word of God under attack today? What's the answer? I'm not a hundred, but I'm old enough that... I remember when we would have Christmas programs at school, they would be about Jesus. And you don't see that anymore. Our country is getting further and further away from the Lord. One of the reasons we have continued to meet, we will continue to meet no matter what, is because we need to stand for religious freedom, even if nobody else on the planet will. And if the pastors don't do it, who in the world's going to? Can I get an Amen. And guys, we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. We live in a time right now that we're afraid of speaking up sometimes because we're afraid we're going to be attacked. I want to encourage you, blessed are you, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. Amen? Amen. Be loving, be kind, be gracious. Don't be a jerk. Don't be self-righteous. Amen? But do not be ashamed of the gospel. And Paul is exhorting Timothy. Timothy, look. There's going to be false doctrine out there. Timothy, you got to stand up. Timothy, there's going to be false teachers out there. You've got to make a stand for the truth of God's word. It is not loving to let a lie stand. Amen? Well, if you're a pastor, you should love everybody, and you should just be kumbaya with everybody. Now, look, I love everybody, and I love them enough. We should all love them enough to tell them that they're headed for destruction. Can I get an amen? Most of you know I have a full-time job. One of my customers is a very devout Mormon, and we have very interesting conversations every time I go to see him. And he knows I love him. I tell him I love him every time I leave. But I continue to let him know that sadly he has fallen for a lie. What is the protection against false teaching? How, we, how do we get protected against false teaching? Sound doctrine. Knowing what the word of God says. Guys, if you don't read the book, you're going to fall for the lie. Amen? If you study to show yourself approved, he's talking about pastors, the workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But that's why when we get together, you know, you guys at Calvary Chapel, all you do is study the Bible. Amen, 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 and amen. When are you going to do a, a series on marriage? When, when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, because that's what it's about. Can I get an, Teach the Bible, amen? And we need more of God's word. And the enemy is attacking God's word. He says there to depart from the faith. What that word means is the word depart there is apostasy. It's abandoning the essential teachings of Christianity. They move away from the teaching of the Bible as the standard for their doctrine and practice. In what they teach, in what they believe, and how they live. If the word of God is not the standard for what I believe, what I teach, and how I live, I become a part of apostasy. There are a lot of people teaching. 
thing. And they preach a feel-good message. I want to encourage you, if you don't go to a church where you're not getting convicted every week, you're in the wrong church. Stepped on my toes today, pastor. Well, your feet are in the wrong place and they needed to be stepped on. Amen? I get it stepped on for 30 hours. You get it for an hour. Amen? So I want you to know, we're all sinners saved by grace. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But we must not be ashamed of the gospel at any time. And we must stand up for the truth because so sad. Because you know what? Satan appears as an angel of light. He's going to look like, you know, he doesn't show up at your house with a pitchfork and say, come to hell with me. No one would go. Amen? But what he'll do instead is, you know, the Mormon church. If they talk to you about Jesus, they'll, they'll use the same terminology that we do, but they believe they're going to be God of their own planet one day if they're a good enough Mormon and that Jesus and Satan are brothers. That's a lie from the devil. Do we love the Mormons? What's the answer? We want to see them saved. My heart breaks for them. I want to share the truth with them. We need to stand for the truth of the gospel. It's true today, not only in the cults, Mormonism has additional books. And by the way, if you add another book, if it's new, it's not true. Amen? If it's true, it's not new. Hey, I got a new revelation. I don't need any new revelations. I just need to understand these revelations. Can I get an amen? I, I've been a pastor 32 years and I'm still learning. How about you guys? Got a lot of growing to do. Jehovah's Witnesses change the Bible to fit their, their beliefs and they hand out a magazine that they say is equal in theology called the Watchtower. Whenever they come to my door, I take as many as I can get. <laughs> can I have 50 of those? I'll take his, I want to just make sure that I have any left for our neighbors. Can I get an amen? Scientology, Dianetics. L. Ron Hubbard proclaimed himself, if you read his book, to be God, and then he died. Guys, our God didn't die. He's a risen and living Savior who's triumphed over sin and death. Amen? Buddha's dead. Hare Krishna's dead. Charles Taze Russell's dead. Mary Baker Eddy's dead. All these religious cult leaders, L. Ron Hubbard, they're all dead. We can dig up their bones. I've been to the tomb. He's risen. And we should shout that from the mountaintops. Amen? And he's exhorting him, look, there's going to be false teachers all around you. There's going to be apostates all around you. And you need to make a stand. We need to love people enough to tell them the truth, even when it's hard. In the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of the devil. You know, it's not just the cults, but sadly, a lot of churches and denominations that started well have fallen away. By the way, you are not a Christian church if you reject the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, if you reject the deity of Jesus Christ, if you reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you reject the fact that we are all sinners in desperate need of a savior, if you reject the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way. Guys, if he's not Jesus Christ, Alpha and Omega always has been, always will be the true and living God, the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way that you and I can get to heaven. If you do not believe that, you are not a Christian. Amen? And we have churches today that they're like the Elks Club. You tune in and it's seven steps to financial freedom and three ways to overcome your anger and Beaver doesn't live here anymore, the series and the roller coaster of life. And dude, read the Bible. What's better? God wrote a book. He's the best author, author ever. It's the best selling book ever. Amen. It's the best selling, but the least read sometimes. And if we don't, that's why I don't, the reason I'll never put verses up on a screen, I want you to have a Bible. Because if you don't open it up on Sunday, chances of opening it up on Tuesday aren't very good. Amen? And we need to spend time in God's word. Read the book, don't wait for the movie. Amen? 
The cross of Christ has been replaced by the felt needs of man. I get emails all the time. Our church in Santa Cruz got pretty large. I have these guys show up. Oh, you got to do this new book or, oh, you got to do this new thing or, or we'll do a survey for you for the felt needs in your area. I know people's felt needs. We're all sinners in need of a savior. There's the need. Amen. And that's what we need to point to. And sadly, we're living in a time where they become religious country clubs. There needs to be brokenness and repentance, which has been replaced with wealth and prosperity. People go to church to get rich. If you know Jesus, you're already rich. You're going to heaven. You're a new creation in Christ. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He's interceding on your behalf. He's preparing a place for you. Guys, could there be anything better than that? But sadly, the truth is, sometimes as Christians, as time goes by, we're not as excited about it as we should be. Biblical truth often has been replaced by a more culturally relevant message. God doesn't need our help to fix his message. Amen? When I was a youth pastor in San Jose, I had a guy show up from a parachurch organization and he gave me this thing and he said it was a sin to bore kids. That's what it said. It's a sin to bore kids. I said, what are you trying to say? He goes, we can't just teach kids the Bible for an hour. It's boring. I said, bro, it's not boring. You're boring. Can I get an amen? (laughs) The word of God rocks. It doesn't get any better than the Bible. Amen? And what you win them with is what you win them to. If you win them with chubby bunnies and dodgeball, that's what you want them to. If you win them with the word of God, you win them to the word of God. Amen? And that's what's going to transform lives. Christ-centered churches have been replaced by seeker-sensitive and experience-driven. People walk away talking about how they felt and what experience they had. My prayer is when you walk away from here, you're talking about Jesus. Can I get an amen? Talking about the Lord and how the Holy Spirit convicted you or comforted you. A good minister must preach the truth with boldness to combat such false doctrine. Notice the source of the apostasy. Let me read that again. It says, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of the devil. It's a deceiving spirit, a spirit that lies. Doctrines of the devil, the demons teach, devil teaches. Every other passage has an author. Every other false book has an author. This book is authored by Almighty God, and every other book is is authored that's contrary to the word of God by Satan. Amen? Joseph Smith said he ran into a, he met a, uh, an Italian angel, Moroni, out in the forest, and he put on a magic hat, I looked in his hat and got to see all the letters and wrote down a book that contradicts the word of God. Guys, first of all, we always must check it against the word of God, amen? This is the ground of authority, not the opinions of men. Satan loves to quote scripture out of context. Does Satan know what the Bible says? What's the answer? Of course he does. And doesn't he love to quote it out of context? It's one of his favorite things to do. As a matter of fact, isn't that the first, the original sin in the garden? What did he say to Eve? Did God really say? He questioned the word of God. He threw doubt into the word of God. We're living in a time right now where people proclaim to be Christians who are saying it's okay to have an abortion. It's okay to have homosexual marriage. It's okay to to be sleeping around. It's okay. Why? Because it's the culture. The culture doesn't change the word of God. We need the word of God to change the culture. And that needs to happen. So he quotes directly out of context and many messages today is the word misquoted or taken out of context following Satan's lead. You see people, you just need to claim it and name it and claim it. If you believe it and you have the faith, God will do it. We don't tell God what to do. He tells us what to do. We don't make commands of God. He makes commands of us. We come humbly and broken before the Lord. We begin our prayers with praise. We come, we intercede on behalf of others. We don't come in and tell God we need a Rolls Royce 
or a $60 million plane so we can fly around the country and preach our false gospel. Can I get an amen? And sadly, that's what the church has become because people are not being taught the word of God. The promise of, if you ask, it'll be given to you. The Lord did say that. He said it to the apostles who were out living their life for him and willing to die for him. And what he was basically saying is if you're out serving the Lord and you ask God for help, he will help you. Guys, if you ask for a divine appointment tomorrow, I promise it'll happen. Can I get an amen to that? If you say, Lord, give me an opportunity to share my faith today. Watch and see how that will happen. God answers that prayer. But if we try to make commands of God to give us stuff that will take our eyes off of him, that's a prayer we should never even pray. Guys, I don't want a better deck chair in the Titanic. How about you? It's all going down. It's all going to burn. It's all sinking. It won't matter in heaven. I want to live my life in a way that will impact eternity. Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And we're only take, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? We should live for him. People questioning, rejecting the word of God. It's always the doctrine of the devil. So it's the cults, denominations that reject the word of God and the essentials of the faith are tools of Satan. It's my first time here. This guy's kind of rough. <laughs> we need to proclaim the truth and do it in love. Amen. They want, pe- they want you to depart from the faith. Verse two, speaking lies in hypocrisy. The word hypocrite is an actor playing the part of another, teaches one thing, practices another, pretending to be divinely inspired, pretending to live a holy life, making up uh, miraculous works. I remember watching a special some years back and they had, you know, they got behind the scenes and they got someone involved in one of these televangelist guys. And there are some good Bible teachers on, on TV, but be careful. It's like shopping at the rack. Amen. There's 10 rags for every good piece of clothing. Be careful, amen? And so just be careful and make sure the word of God is the authority. But what they did is they, they followed this guy. And what he did, they had people filling out cards in line and then they would take the cards and gather them up and then they would, give, then they would speak to the pastor on the stage and he had an earpiece telling them the names of the people, why they were there and how they were hurting. Oh, I've got a word from the Lord. No, you don't. You got a word from the microphone backstage. And then they would make these false proclamations and then they would have people that weren't really sick pretend to get well. And then this guy was making $60 million a year. You know what that tells me? People are hungry for the truth and we need to teach it. My grandmother, who's now in heaven, was in her 90s. I went to her house and she was watching uh, one of these and she goes, I send him money. I said, mama, don't. Mama, no, no, no. We didn't have live stream back then yet. Wish we did. Amen? Need to be careful. Expose revealed again the scam. And sadly, you know, there's a day coming when everybody who's duping people is going to stand before the creator of the universe. Amen? One of the, one of the people they interviewed about this man was, went to college with him and he said, I'm going to get rich using religion because it's the easiest way to dupe people. It's true. That's why we need to stand for the truth, amen? How can anyone, especially those who once claimed to know Christ, do such a thing? It says there, look at the rest of that verse. This is a heavy part. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared over with a hot iron. The word sear is cauterized. They've lost feeling. They're beyond Holy Spirit conviction. They lie no longer being bothered by it. Many so desensitized, they start to believe their own lies, and their conscience is seared over. You've heard me say this. Now, this is a Pastor Dave opinion. I, I, I'm clear when I say that. I believe our conscience is the Holy Spirit with us before salvation. Amen? 
People have a conscience. They know right from wrong. There's no way they know right from wrong because of them, because we're all evil and perverse and wicked and separated from God apart from him. Can I get an amen to that? So in us dwelleth no good thing. So it's the Holy Spirit with us. Now we know in the word of God, there's, there's three ways the Holy Spirit has a relationship with us. He's either with us, in us, or upon us. And you remember that Jesus said in the gospel of Luke, told the apostles, he breathed the Holy Spirit in them. And then he told them to go and wait till the Holy Spirit came upon them. So he's with the world. He convicts them of sin. And again, they, they can respond. It's an opportunity to respond. Yes, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Once you're born again, the Holy Spirit goes from being here to being here. And now he walks with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the Bible does talk about something subsequent to the Spirit being in you, the Spirit being upon you. It can be called being filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And as my dad used to say, I don't care what you call it, just get it. Can I get an amen? John the Baptist, Jesus said of men born among women, none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. For all of us, there needs to be less of us and more of him. Amen? heard me say, I get up every morning, I look in the mirror and say, dude, you've got to die today. We got to die to ourselves and walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But sadly, people, their conscience is seared over. And he's talking about people preaching a false doctrine. But do we live in a world with the seared over conscience today? How in the world can you think killing babies up to the moment they're born is okay? You have to have a seared over conscience to believe that. Can I get an amen to that? We are more worried about trees and whales than you are babies. Something's wrong. When you talk to somebody and there's, there's an anger, they're burning cities down because they're unhappy. You know what? Christians, we don't do that. Amen? We want to honor the Lord and we want to love people enough to tell them the truth. And a seared over conscience is a very dangerous thing. Now he's going to give some examples of these false doctrines or teaching. Let's pay attention. Forbidding to marry. Hmm. Forbidding to marry is listed as a false doctrine. I remember going down to, to Anaheim every year. They used to have the, the men's conference down in Anaheim. You'd have 10,000 guys show up for an all-day conference. Seven or eight speakers, worship. It was amazing. And every year, there were guys standing out there with signs saying that if you're married, you're going to hell. And you're in sin. And I would go up to these guys to talk to them. And i go, bro, I'm glad you're, aren't you glad your parents didn't think that way? You wouldn't be here. Can I get an amen? It is better to marry than to burn with passion, the Bible says. It says in Genesis, it's not good for a man to be alone. If God puts it on your heart to remain single for a lifetime, that's between you and the Lord. And that's certainly, you certainly, Paul talks about the fact that your attentions won't be divided. In a lot of ways, you can be more service for the kingdom of God. But when you start to say forbidding to marry, what you're doing is you're using something that is not biblical and you're making it a qualification for salvation. That's a false gospel. Amen. How's that working out for the Catholic priest right now? I'm not bagging on him. What I'm trying to tell you is not good for Dave to be alone. Amen. Praise God for my beautiful wife, Lynette, 35 years of marriage. And I can't imagine my life without her. God has gifted her in ways he hasn't gifted me. And she, we're one flesh in Christ. It's a picture of Christ in the church. Amen. But here's what the world does. They want to add things to the gospel and make them essential for salvation. And that's called legalism. Amen. If you have a personal burden, you be faithful to it. But when you make that a prerequisite for everyone else's salvation, that becomes legalism, which is false doctrine. Forbidding to marry is not from God. It's from 
the world. And again, telling men they need to be so devoted to God, it's tragic. By the way, as soon as you get away from one doctrine in the Bible, I get concerned that you're getting away from a lot of doctrines in the Bible. Amen? Not to say that we, any of us have perfect theology. I think we'll all learn something when we get to heaven. So this may seem innocent enough, but they're adding to the word of God. And when you add to the word of God, you deny the word of God. Man's attempt to justify himself by keeping a list of man-made rules. Again, it's not good for man to be alone. Beware of any religious teaching that teaches with, that tampers with God's institution of marriage, including it's one man with one woman for a lifetime. Amen? Now, some of you have been through biblical divorces, or maybe you were divorced before you were saved, and I, I'm not condemning you for that. God's a God of love and grace and mercy that will forgive you. Amen? But that being said, when we stand before Almighty God and we make a commitment and a pledge to each other, this is a commitment for a lifetime. It'd be easier for you to rip my arm off than to take my wife from me. Amen? And God has called us to be committed to godly marriage. And again, as well as any teaching that tampers with creation. And again, it says, commanding to abstain from foods. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Rise, kill, and eat. Acts chapter 10. It says in Genesis that all, all things that move are good for us. All the seeds and the plants are good for us. There were some things that were during the old covenant that were set aside that they were not to eat because a lot of it was sacrificed to idols or it was involved in pagan idolatry. And God told them to have nothing to do with it. But now under the new covenant and in light of the word of God, we, we're not restricted by that. Now, the church I pastored in Santa Cruz, we met in a Seventh-day Adventist church and they're vegan. And if you want to be vegan... God bless you, more bacon for Dave. I'm good with it. <laughs> and if you want to be vegan, that's okay. But if you become a militant vegan who tells everyone else who's not vegan that they're, they're outside of God's will, you're preaching a false doctrine. Amen? And, oh, I'm more holy because I'm vegan. I'm more holy because I'm not married. I'm more holy because, you know, I, I don't have a TV in my house. I'm more holy. And you give all this list trying to make yourself more holy. Let me clue you in. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And the only thing that makes you more holy is Jesus. And you can't do anything apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit commanding to abstain. Uh, I pastored that church in Santa Cruz, and we had people that would get so mad at me that I would eat a cheeseburger and I would say, 1 Timothy chapter 4. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Amen. In and out burger, here I come. Amen. <laughs> Said God created it to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. We are to receive the food that God has given us with thanksgiving. And here's a picture of why we pray over our meals. Amen. And we often ask God to bless the food, and that's okay, I guess. But really what we should be doing is thanking God for the food. You see the you see Jehovah Jireh, Lord, our, Lord God, our provider? Do you know that we are, we are the rich, some of the richest people on the planet, and there are a lot of people all over this planet that don't know where their next meal is coming from? And we can take for granted how much God has blessed us and how he provides for us. And that's why it's good to stop and take a few moments. By the way, when you're praying over a meal with 12 people at the table, it's not time for you to audition to see how holy you are. Can I get an amen? But I think it's important that we just pray and say, Lord, thank you. It reminds us that everything we have comes from the Lord and to God be all the glory. Amen? We don't take credit for it. We give God glory for it. 
Then it says there in verse 4, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. So what he's talking about, any kind of diet. Now, I want to see this. If you go to the doctor, and the doctor tells you that you've got an allergy to something, or there's something that may cause you harm, you know, your, bo- your body's to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You might want to use some wisdom. Now, it's not sin for you to go out and eat that, but it might bring your body harm, and you Man, you might want to think about what you eat. We also should try to be good stewards of our temple, the, the whole, temple of the Holy Spirit, amen? So that we can live a, live a good long life and be strong enough to go out and do what God's called us to do. But that being said, when you make restrictions on diet and make it a prerequisite for salvation, you are preaching a false gospel. And it says there, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Paul here again has that mind of praying before a meal and the emphasis is not asking God to bless the food, but thanking God for blessing and providing what we're about to eat. The word of God sanctifies food in the sense that God gave two general commands to mankind to eat good things of the earth. It says in Genesis 1, see I've given you every herb of the fields that yield seed, which is on the face of the earth and every tree is fruit yields seed for it shall be food. And then later he says in Genesis 9, every moving thing that lives shall be food to you. I have given you all things, even as the green herb. So if the Lord comes down hard on those who would uh, command others to abstain from certain foods, and he calls them hypocrites, how do you think he feels about those who reject the virgin birth? If God is coming down on people who say, oh, if you eat meat, you know, you're outside of God's will, or, or if you're a vegetarian, you're outside of God's will, or pick whatever side you want. He's saying, look, if God comes down hard on that, how does he feel about someone rejecting the virgin birth or the deity of, of Jesus Christ or the resurrection from the dead or the inerrancy of scripture? Amen? And yet we have people all day long, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I just think there's a lot of paths. There's a lot of paths, but most of them lead to hell. Amen? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word, amen? Bible says we desire the word of God more than our necessary food. A good minister stands for the word of God. He preaches it, he combats false teaching and he's unashamed of the gospel. Point number two there. So a good minister preaching the word, proclaiming the truth, promoting the truth, protecting the truth. A godly minister practicing the word, not only preaching the word, but practicing the word. Look there at verse six. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. Notice the pastor's primary job is to instruct the brethren. Instructing is not just in word, but in his actions. Not only teaching the truth of God's word to people, but living it out before them. A good minister preaches the truth, warns the sheep about false doctrine, but then he also lives it out every single day in front of them. You saw when we ordained Pastor Joshua and we ordained Pastor Doug over the last year or so, and We went through 1 Timothy 3 that we looked at last week and has qualifications for pastors. Pastors are far from perfect. We're all sinners in need of a savior. But it talks about he must be blameless without anything to hold on, without accusation from the outside. He must live a life that points people to Christ. Amen? And so that's the example that he's talking about here. To instruct their brethren, you be a good minister, nourished in words of faith, of good doctrine, which you have certainly, the key there, the word is followed. Must not only teach the word, but feed himself from it. 
I have a couple of friends, sadly, that over the years have fallen away. Uh, one committed adultery and we got caught up with money in the church. Broke my heart both times. Godly men. And in both cases, when I started talking to them, they had called me for prayer and trying to minister to these guys. I have a heart for them. I still love them. They're both out of the ministry and they should be. Uh, they can be restored to fellowship, which they both are. But the sad part was when I asked them, tell me, God, how did you go? How did you go from where you were to over here? How do you go from loving your wife and serving the church and being faithful to the Lord and being used mildly by God to committing adultery with someone in your church? How did that happen? And do you know that in both cases, and I hear this often, their daily devotions went away. Their time of prayer went away. The, the intimacy with their wife went away. Guys, there needs to be intimacy in marriage and there needs to be intimacy with the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? And so, you know, Satan wants everybody who's not saved to be, to be intimate with each other and everybody who's married to stop being intimate with each other. And we want to honor the Lord in that, amen? And so what happened was they were not spending, so they would only study to teach someone else. But we need to spend time with the word of God just for us. Amen, and that's true for all of us. We need to be in the word every day. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it breaks your heart when you see what happens. It says, which you have carefully followed, not just teaching it, but being nourished yourself and walking in it, staying close to the word, being fed by it, strengthened by it, directed by it. Verse seven, continues to, verse seven, continues talking about practice, uh, protecting the word and practicing the word. He says, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. So godless fables, the word there is muthos, where we get the word myths. So he said, protect yourself against false myths, profane and old wives' fables, man-made superstitions, false teaching and traditions, again, uh, of the apostates. Now, I'm going to get in some people's toes a little bit. Love you guys. Love you guys. Love you guys. Astrology from the devil. Amen. I've had a few of you come up. Oh, you're a Gemini. I knew that. Stop it. I'm a Christian. Can I get an amen? Well, the star was over here and the moon was over there. So I'm going to meet a blonde on Friday. Stop it. Anything that takes our eyes off the word of God and puts it on anything else to direct our lives is from the devil. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I know a few people just got mad at me. I know you know who you are and I love you. Can I get an amen? And we can get caught up in all the world's latest wisdom. I'm not worried about climate change because God's in control. Amen. I'm not worried about recycling. Oh, people are popping gaskets. I understand. In Santa Cruz, we're the recycling king of the world. I put a, a Coke can in a non-recycling bin and half the people in the church wanted to leave. People lose their minds. Recycle if you want. It's not essential for salvation. Get over it. Can I get an amen? People up there are hugging trees and worshiping everything else. We need to worship. Santa Cruz have people that go out in the forest and they cry out and ask forgiveness of the trees that they were cut down. Lord help. Can I get an amen? What in the world is going? Here's what happens when you get away from the truth of God's word. Amen. 
But notice what he says about God's word and your relationship to it. Reject the profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. Now, I love this. It's the ancient Greek and Roman culture put a high value on physical exercise. And Paul's telling Timothy, rather than attempting to understand those fables, take some time and work and commit to the same way that others do with physical things to their pursuit of godliness. Now, a lot of people work really hard to stay physically fit, and I think that's great. But let me just say this. Look, when I was in college, and then even after college for a couple years, I worked out six days a week, four hours a day. I know you can't tell now. Things done changed. But here's the reality. And I would, I, would, I would literally make my classes around my workout schedule. Oh, I need that class to graduate, but that's chest day, so I can't do that. And I would literally move my schedule around my exercise schedule. And you know, when somebody is devoted to being physically fit, again, nothing wrong with that, but your devotion to the Lord ought to come stronger than your devotion to be physically fit. Can I get an amen? You have people that spend four years exercising for one thing in the Olympics, right? Lindley can tell you, what do do wrestlers do? These guys bust tail, they work hard, and then they have to diet to get in shape, to get to weight so they can wrestle. And that takes devotion, amen? But that kind of devotion is good, but guys, our devotion to the Lord should make that pale in comparison to our devotion. Now look, being physically fit is good. It says it's good, it's, you know, it does little good, right? But it means it's good for now. But it's not gonna impact eternity, Amen? So that take that. So I, what if I'd taken that devotion when I was 19 instead of four hours a day in the gym? What if I'd spent four hours a day in God's word? Amen? So we, those things are okay. By the way, you know what's great now? You can go to the gym and work out and put Christian music on or put messages in your, and you can run on the treadmill and worship Jesus at the same time. Can I get an amen to that? Let's make it an opportunity to grow in your relationship with the Lord. Think of the effort, again, that an elite Olympic athlete, it always blows me away. They spend four years, they're dieting, they've given up everything, they're living maybe on an Olympic village somewhere. And don't you feel sorry for the guy that trips? Four years, oh, he's out. What a mess. But guys, when we do something for the Lord, it'll always be worth it, Amen. Sacrificing less important pleasures in the pursuit of a greater goal is what athletes often do. We need to do the same when it comes to the kingdom of God. Have the same drive, the same dedication in your pursuit of godliness. Have an attitude and the character of God. Rise early in the morning. When I was playing college football, I, used to, I, used to, I'm, I was just crazy. I just have to tell you, I, was, I had a gym membership that I paid enough where I had a key to the gym. And I would go down to the gym and lift weights at two o'clock in the morning because I knew that the guy I was going to be blocking on Friday or Saturday was asleep. He's sleeping. I'm lifting. I'm ready for you, bro. You know what I mean? That mentality. And we, you know, get up early and run up and down the hills and just sweat your tail off and do whatever it takes. Guys, we need to have that heart for the Lord. When's the last time you got up early to hang out with Jesus? Amen. When's the last time you open up the word of God and set your alarm half an hour early? We do it to go to the gym and run on the treadmill. Let's do it to open up the word and, and be exercise ourselves spiritually. Amen? Be encouraged by that. Used to work to the point of exhaustion. The Bible tells us that we are to labor in the word. Speaking of pastors, that means to study to the point of exhaustion. Reject 
profane and old wives' fables. Exercise yourself toward godliness. Here's what it says. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. So a little means for a while, for the time we are here, it is profitable. It's good to stay in shape. It's good to take care of these bodies. But the amount of time and effort to do that should pale in comparison to the amount of time and effort you spend in growing in your relationship with the Lord. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And again, it's exercise is good for now, but spiritual exercise and growing in faith will last forever. Notice it says, but godliness is profitable for all things. And then it says at the end of that verse, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. Exercising unto godliness is good for all eternity. It impacts both the life here and now and the one that's coming. I love that. When you, when you spend time with the Lord, you grow in your relationship with him. It has an impact on your life today. By the way, as Christians, we should be the most joyous people on the planet. Amen? And you know why? Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy, and you can't have joy apart from the Holy Spirit. And nobody should be happier or more blessed than we are. Amen? But notice, too, it also says, and that which is to come. At the same time, godliness is a guarantee. It's, not a guarantee. it's only a guarantee of a profitable life in the one that is to come. As Christians... Will we go through tribulation? What's the answer? Yes. yes. We will go through trials. We will go through difficulties. But guess what? We have the promise of eternal life and no one can ever snatch us out of his hand. Amen? So we may have difficulty here, but there's a day coming when there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. Spiritual development and physical development share similar similarity, or very similar, but growth only comes with exertion and proper feeding. Let me say that again. You only grow and exercise with exertion and proper feeding. When I was playing football in college, this is so disgusting. I would eat 15 cans of tuna a day because they told us to have a gram of protein for every pound of weight. I weighed 253, so I'd eat 253 grams of protein every day. Most of you go, 20 grams of protein is pretty good. 253. So tuna fish, or don't put any mayo on there. It's fat. So you had to exercise and then you had to discipline what you fed on. The same is true as a believer. We need to discipline what we're, what we're feeding on. Can I get an amen? We need to exercise and take the time to spend with the Lord and then make sure that what we're reading is healthy and good for us. And that's not always on Netflix. Can I get an amen? Sometimes we're binging over here on stuff that's drawing us away from the word of God. Again, bodily exercise is good. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, but spiritual exercise is even better. Pursue God in intimacy with him more than a flat stomach and a 300-pound bench press. Can I get an amen? Pursue intimacy with the Lord. Verse 9 and 10. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Spiritual exercise isn't easy. It requires godly discipline, and it's only possible through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. It turns physical discipline into godly passion. I love the difference between discipline and passion. Discipline is something we try to do on our own strength. Passion is something that is stirred up by the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
I love the analogy one of my pastor friends, Tim Brown from Fremont uses. He said, you know, when I think of the difference between discipline and passion, I think of a guy who says he's going to get up every morning and, and run on the treadmill for an hour, or the guy that just met the most beautiful girl he's ever met in his life, and he has to get up at 6 a.m. to go have coffee with her. Which one do you think the guy might bounce out of bed quicker? Because one is discipline, the other one's passion. Amen? And our passion needs to be for the Lord. Are you in love with Jesus? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Have you, let me ask you, if you could be honest, just between you and the Lord. Have you ever read the Bible and thought, that was a waste of time? I've never done that. I've done a lot of other stuff that's a waste of time. Can I get an amen? But isn't the Bible the hardest thing to open sometimes? Sometimes it's sitting there and we know we should read it and we get distracted and the enemy doesn't want you reading it. We need to open it, read it, and obey it. Amen? So spiritual exercises, prayer, self-examination, fellowship, service, sacrifice, submission to the will uh, of, of the Lord. All of these can assist me through the spirit to become a more godly person. Spiritual intimacy makes us able to be willing to suffer reproach for the name of Christ. Notice he says there, who is the savior of all men. Now, again, I love you all. Some of you hold to a theology that says Jesus only died for some. Here's one of many verses that would refute that. Jesus died for everyone. He's the savior of all mankind. Now, does that mean all men are going to be saved? What's the answer? So salvation is offered universally, but it must be accepted individually. God will never force salvation on anyone. To God be all the glory. We don't get any credit. It's not our good works. It's his great grace that saves us. But to say that he forces salvation on some and holds it back from others changes the character of our God. He's a God who desires that none should perish, no, not one. And he's the savior of all mankind, all who will believe. Amen? And that's what he says there in the text. Especially to those who believe. Jesus' work is adequate to save all, but only effective in those who come to him by faith. By the way, everyone who's saved is saved because of Christ. Amen? There's not one person who's saved, for, not because they, you know, gave to charity, not because they did good works, not because they're nice people, not because they went to church, not because they read their Bibles, which you should do, not because they were baptized. Guys, all those things are fine. All those things are great, but none of those things will save you apart from repentance, surrendering your life to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the only true and living God, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And only through him can we have eternal life. Look at verse 11. These, these things mention and hope they get it. That's not what it says. It says command and teach. And people don't like that. They don't like it when you're direct with them sometimes. Now I will confess, I teach the way I like to be taught. I don't like to go hear a message where I got to try to figure out what the guy's trying to say. Can I get an amen? He's weaving some story and he's got this other thing and he mentions this and he goes over here. Dude, what do you, just say it. Can I get an amen? Just tell me the truth. Just bring it in love, amen? Be direct, it's okay. He says, command and teach. This has a note of authority. Timothy was not to enter the pulpit with speculations and opinions and the theories of men. He was to fiercely bring God's word before God's people and let the chips fall where they may. I know pastors who are afraid to tell people they're sinners because they're afraid they might not come back. And if they don't come back, then the tithes will go down and I'll have to go get a job. Well, I've already got a job, so I'm not worried about that. I wasn't worried about it anyway. 
Because we st- we're going to stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day and be accountable for what we did before him. And as much as I love you guys, I'm really not all that worried about what you think about me. I'm more, much more concerned about what he knows about me. And we need to be doing everything we do to glorify and honor the name of Jesus Christ, to proclaim it openly and boldly. Amen? And again, if you, you know, my six-word philosophy of ministry, it used to be preach the word, love the kids. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. And then when I became a senior pastor uh, 17 years ago, it's preach the word, love the people. And if you're loved, you can proclaim the truth and do it with boldness. Amen? We only preach the truth, right? And we don't show any love. You know, that can come across heavy. And if we only love people, we don't show them the truth. That's tragic. Amen. Look what it says here. He's saying to Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word and conduct in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Underline your Bible. If you got a, if that's your Bible, underline that verse. Let no one despise your youth. Now I want to say this about Timothy. He's probably in his thirties. So he's not, a, he's not a kid, but as, as believers, when you get saved, God wants to use you now. Amen. Well, as soon as I'm older, I'll serve Jesus. I got saved when I was four and a half years old at the first Baptist church in Wilmington and Mrs. Green Sunday school class. And you know what? Praise God for her. Amen. But the reality is that God wants to use us now. And often we think, well, I'll, I'll serve the Lord later. I'll serve the Lord later. Later may never come. There should be a sense of urgency. He said, again, we don't know exactly how old he was, but more than likely Timothy was in his 30s, Paul in his 70s or 80s. And again, the elders were twice his age. And sometimes people who are older will look down upon someone who's younger. And how does he keep from despising his youth? By not giving them anything to despise, by living a godly and set apart life, by being an example, by teaching them through the word of God. Look, Sometimes people have a problem with me for my personality. That's my fault. And I take that. Amen. But if they have a problem with the word of God that's being taught, they need to take it up with the author. Amen. Because the word of God is truth. We need to proclaim it with boldness. Notice it says a godly minister practices the word in word, in what you say, in the pulpit, in private communication. I'm not a big fan of shucking and jiving behind the pulpit. Amen. And you see people do that. It's okay to have some sense of humor that comes out naturally. We don't come up here and tell 17 jokes before we get to the word of God. This is not a joke. Amen. This is not open mic at the, you know, the local club. This is the word of God. And when we stand here, we should proclaim the truth of God's word alone and do it in word and in power. Do it in conduct. It's, it's tragic if you preach one thing and you live something else. If they put all of us on trial for being a Christian... And they followed you around for the next 30 days and they videotaped everything you said and everything you did. And then they put you on trial. Would they have enough evidence to convict you? Would they see you in the word? Would they see you going in fellowship? Would they see you praising the Lord? Would they see you serving others? Would they see you using your spiritual gifts? Or would they say you're, not like, you're just like the rest of the world? Guys, not just in our word, but in our conduct, but then also in our love, in love for Christ and our love for his people. I'll give you one guess what that word love is in Greek. What do you think? It's agape. Agape is a selfless love that loves people outside of itself more than itself. 
It's a love that gives, a love that serves. It's a love that expects nothing in return. It's a love that's unconditional. We are to love the Lord that way in light of all he's done for us, but we're also to love people that same way. Notice it says there in spirit. That's in your attitude, your heart, your disposition. Too many Christians walk around looking like they've been sucking on a lemon. Can I get an amen? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm born again, but you know, life's horrible. I'm starting to, you know, when it comes to my church, yeah, right, bro. Come be like you. I don't think so. <laughs> we have the joy of the Lord. I'm not saying we don't have the moments when we're struggling. I get that. But as believers, we should be the most joyous people on the planet. Amen. I know people right now, and again, if you're in this camp, it's okay if you're in this camp. There's people that have not left their house since March because they're scared to death, and they're, and they're Christians. And I say, well, bro, so if you went out and you got it, which you probably won't, but if you did, okay, and then if you died, you'd be one in the 10,000 that do, where would you go? Can't threaten me with heaven. Can I get an amen? No, at the same time, if you have a conviction and you have a health issue, we should, we should definitely have quarantine the people that are sick. But those of us who are healthy, let's be gathering together with God's people. Can I get an amen? Let's be worshiping together. Let's be ministering one to another. It says in faith, faithfulness in the midst of great difficulty. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. How do we know where your faith is? It gets put to the test. Do you remain faithful when things get difficult? In purity, this is in holiness and chastity of body and of mind. Only possible. Can't do this in your own strength. Can't do this in discipline. You have to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Finally, last four verses. Progressing in the word, a growing minister. It says, till I come, give attention to the reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Now, I love this. Read, exhort, and doctrine. Timothy was to give attention to these things, each centered on God's word. Now, this is a little out of order, but this is the class we've taught here. This is how I studied to prepare the Bible. It's called inductive Bible study. Observe it, interpret it, apply it. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply to my life? What did he just say to him right there? He says, give attention to read it. The exhortation is the application and the truth, which is doctrine, which is the interpretation. So open it, read it, interpret it, apply it. Guys, we don't just read the Bible to check off a box and say, you know, I'm, I'm on my way to reading through the Bible in a year. I'm going to check off my box. We open up the Bible so it will change us. This is the only book that not only do you read it, but it reads you. Amen? And it will transform you from the inside out. But notice how he says that, to give attention to read it, to exhort it, and to doctrine, to the truth of God's word. Again, observation, interpretation, application. Then he says, do not, the, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Pastor Joshua, whenever he does announcements, he always says, how many guys are born again? That means you have gifts. Guess what? We all have gifts. Amen? And some of you have gifts I don't have. Some of you have gifts that maybe nobody else here has. And, and if, you know, for all eyes, where's the hearing? For all ears, where's the sight? So when we ask, now a lot of us don't know what we should do. Okay, yeah, okay, I know I have a gift. I just don't know what it is. I believe that a burden is a spawning ground of a calling. When God starts to give you a burden for something, when I was a youth pastor, I had a, I had a severe, I had a great burden for teenagers. I would see them in line at the movie theater and I'd walk over and talk to 25 teenagers. At my house, every day I'd come home from work and half the days there'd be teenagers in my swimming pool hanging out because I had a burden for them. I had a passion for them. I saw them in a different, I, I taught teenagers on purpose, right? Because I love them. And a burden is a spawning ground. So if you have a burden for something, and people know this here. You come up and say, hey, Pastor Dave, here's a ministry we really need. Great. Why don't you head that up? Oh, no, I didn't know. 
I said, we need it. I said, I don't want nothing to do with it. I just think we need it. Well, a burden's a spawning ground of a calling. I want to encourage you. Say, Lord, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use me? And then be faithful to that. Amen. Notice it says here, do not neglect the gift that which is within you. This is talking about pastors mainly here, which is given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. So when we ordain people or we recognize the gifts, this is what it goes back to. We lay on hands. Now understand, we don't ordain people, God does. We just recognize what God's already done. We're just agreeing. God's got his hand on this person and we lay hands on them and we pray for them that God would continue to use them in a mighty and a powerful way. Then it says there in verse 15, meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Everything he has just taught him, he says meditate. Now, the word meditate's been ruined because Eastern philosophy says empty yourself of everything, which by the way is impossible. Because if you're trying to think of nothing, you're thinking about, thinking about nothing. Amen? Meditation is not just meditating on nothing and let whatever come. You know what it is? It's, it's meditating on the word of God. Amen? And you can't meditate on something you haven't read. So he's saying, take what I've just taught you and Tim, young Timothy, meditate on this. Fill our minds with God's word. The word meditate also means to practice. A doctor practices medicine. A pastor is to practice the ministry of the word. And then it says, give yourself entirely to them. He was encouraged to put the maximum uh, effort forth to total commitment. God has called us in a Christian walk, not to have a passive one, but to step out in faith. That your progress may be evident to all. I will say this, I'm a pastor kid. And when people would ask me when I was a young man, if I was going to be a pastor like my dad, most of you have heard, I'd always say, no way. And I went out, got the best sales job, was making a lot of money and seemed to have the world by the tail from the world's perspective. And I was driving home from work and I pulled off the freeway in Acton and I cried out to God and said, there's got to be more to life than this. And I believe that was the first time in my life that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon my life. I started going to discipleship class. I became a youth pastor. I went back to Santa Cruz to visit a bunch of my friends. I'll never forget this. And it was just God's way of confirming that he wants to do a work in my life. Two of my friends said to me, we were driving back from a movie. And they go, you know, Dave, when you left here, you were saved. But now you're really saved. Something changes when we surrender our lives fully to look. I'm a sinner every day. Amen. And I need to be broken and humble before God. But I'm saying as believers, when you surrender your life fully, and I know that that's happened to a lot of people in this room. We've talked about it. I've seen God do it in your lives. You came here, you didn't even know the Lord. And now you love the Lord more than anything. And you can't wait to get here and you love to serve him. Can I get an amen to that? And we see it happen. What is that? That's where you surrender your life fully to the Lord. You don't just give the Lord an hour and a half on Sunday. You don't just talk about the Lord You have a life submitted to the Lord. You have intimate fellowship with the Lord. Amen? Final verse. Take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear. Take heed to yourself. He's giving him something directly to him. Timothy, every pastor must examine the two great areas of his life. His life and his doctrine. What what his relationship is with the Lord and what he believes and teaches. Without giving heed to his life, Timothy might suffer shipwreck. Without giving heed to his doctrine, Timothy might lead others astray, teaching a false doctrine. Save both yourself and those who know you. The actions of a believer, and even more so a pastor, impact not only you, but those around you. Do you understand that as a Christian, for some of you, you're the only Jesus some people will ever see? When you go to work, 
tomorrow, if you go to work or if you're on a Zoom meeting, you might be the only Christian on the Zoom meeting, that wherever we go, we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're called to be salt and light, to lead people to the Lord, to reflect Jesus Christ. Christians have a bad name because there's a lot of hypocrites. And most people that struggle with Christianity struggle with Christians, not with Christ. Amen? And we need to do a better job of representing Christ. So in closing, as we prepare for communion, how to be a good, godly, and growing minister. First of all, a good minister preaching the word, combating false teaching, proclaiming the truth, promoting the truth, protecting the truth. A godly minister practicing the word. Practice what you preach. Be a godly example for others to follow. Exercise yourself toward godliness. Spend time with the Lord. And then a growing minister, continuing to grow spiritually, moving forward, drawing closer to the Lord every day, not neglecting your spiritual gifts and being willing to step out in faith. So we're going to go now to a time of communion. And communion or the Lord's Supper is something that Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is for believers. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you can do that right now. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Now, why is this for the church? This is for believers because it's a picture of what Christ has done for us. And if you're not a Christian, you shouldn't take this. But if you're not a Christian, you can give your life to the Lord right now. You just humbly say, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead. Help me, Lord, to walk with you. If you pray that prayer with sincerity of heart with the Lord, he will make you a new creation in Christ. His Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you. All the angels in heaven will rejoice and you have the promise of eternal life. Amen? For the rest of us, I pray we would not take this for granted. So the guys are gonna pass out the elements. Just hold on to them for a minute and I'll come back up here and we'll take them together. Amen?